Hello. Hello and good afternoon to all who are listening. Uh, This is a bit of a different podcast today as it is just me hanging out. Um, Yeah, so figured that hasn't been a podcast in a while. So for all the uh, many, many viewers who listen, um, you're just getting me today, Tyler Haith. A pleasure to be with everyone. I'm currently sitting out on my patio. Uh, The bees are buzzing. The sun is out. And uh, yeah, it's a great day. Beautiful day. Probably one of the best days we've had so far this year. It's a shame we can't go out and enjoy it other than sitting outside, but that's all right. I had, it's It's been very good to be able to sit around and kind of appreciate. And as I sit here, I've been able to watch the plants come up. I've been able to watch the trees blossom, um, which has turned my white car into a green pollen-filled looking mystery machine. So that's always fun. I spent quite a bit of money this spring on car washes, but that's all right. Got to keep the car clean. So today I figured that I have nothing better to do, so I might as well sit down and record about a half hour of reflections, stories, whatever ends up coming out of my mouth, I guess, is what's going to be put on the air. So here goes nothing. Um, First, the video today is sponsored, and it's not video, the podcast today is sponsored by uh, Professor Koistra in our spring senior seminar class. Uh, We're very sorry we couldn't be together for the end of the year. We're very sorry that uh, we couldn't give the seniors their farewell that they have deserved, but this is kind of my way of saying we miss you and we're um, hopefully we can get together sometime in the fall and celebrate. If not, good luck to you. So without further ado, let's just kick right into it. Um, last night, me and my younger brother went to a Dairy Queen. Um, we took our old truck. Um, it's an 87 C10. Uh, it's in very good condition. We found it out in Montana three years ago, and that's kind of been the family's pride and joy, which, which led me to wonder why we treasure old vehicles so much. Why is it that every time I pull up to a gas station that you know, young and old come up and, and just want to know about it. And so I pondered that a little bit last night. And I came to the conclusion that it's something that we can hold on to that reminds us of the past. Um, in an ever-changing world with, you know, newer technologies, newer designs, that um, older the, the older vehicles remind us of a simpler time when, you know, just throw it on a chassis and let it do its job you know there's nothing nothing too fancy about them they're just machines and now cars have become almost homes where we've got tv screens and we've got bluetooth and we've got upgraded sound systems you know just any anything you can imagine you can put into a car these days but back in the 80s and the 70s and the 80s and 60s and all the way until cars were first made, they didn't have technology to put in them. They were used as machines rather than as like leisure toys. And these machines of the 70s and 80s that have been used so much have now become the toys of the 21st century. We've kind of gone back to where we appreciate the simplicity 
rather than the complexity of modern vehicles. And so I just thought it was very interesting, you know, why we treasure these old vehicles so much. Um, do they hold memories? At least for us, for me, they do hold memories of going, you know, driving 13, 14 hours one way to go, to go look at this vehicle that you've only seen pictures of and end up driving this 1987 vehicle that hasn't moved in 20 years all the way back home, 14 hours back to Minnesota. It's, you know, they change hands so much nowadays, you know, your car gets a little bit of rust on it, you want to sell it there's a new model that comes out you want to sell it but back then that wasn't the case your vehicle that you bought was your vehicle that was your your tool your machinery that helped you do the necessary tasks of life you know now we have we have a truck for pulling the camper for pulling the boat then we have a car for going to work in order to get better gas mileage in the summer we have some kind of summer vehicle that we put away in the winter time so it doesn't get rusty doesn't get destroyed by the grime of the roads. Back then there was one vehicle that did everything. And I guess the reason why we hold on to these old vehicles is the simplicity and and I guess the the times it brings us back into. Which is something I thought about last night as we were driving up to Dairy Queen. It's kind of it's a very short drive. It's about five minutes. But you get in this old vehicle that takes 10 seconds to start because you know it just it's like come on let's get going it doesn't want to move it's so old but you know it smells old it's got a distinct smell that you will never get in a modern vehicle and i and that's to me the best part about it is that it smells like it's old but really it's not that old it's only 30 years old but to us that's a you know long time ago when you set this 87 Chevy next to a 2020 Chevy, they look like there was 100 years of difference between them. But in reality, it was 33, which is older than me, but to the most of the population, that wasn't, you know, that's what, they're 10, 15, 20 years older than that. But it looks so different. And I think that's where the, the draw of these old vehicles comes in is that the nostalgia, it brings you back to a time where there wasn't Bluetooth, there wasn't TVs in your car. You had a radio and a windshield. And you could sit in silence with your passengers. You can sit in silence with yourself. But today that silence is drawn, you know, it's, it's you know, there's sound of music, there's TV, there's screens, there's phones, there's everything to distract you. From the one thing that was so powerful about driving and I, I just I just had time to ponder about that yesterday and it really makes you think really makes you think why is everybody so infatuated with these old vehicles and I think that's the reason why um, yeah and so part of that that thinking about why are we so infatuated with X led me to think why are we so infatuated with Y and Y being international travel why are we so obsessed with a world that is different than ours when the world that you live in has everything that you could possibly ever want and need the comforts of home um, everything about your house is exactly the way you want it but why is it that to travel overseas to travel to a different state is such a draw to us 
And I thought about that, having gone over to England, to Ireland, to France, to Italy. Why is it that the lifestyle of, of over there is so captivating and so drawing to us here, where we have more freedoms-wise, monetary-wise, than they do over there? Probably not Great Britain because of the way the pound is worth compared to the dollar, but every other country besides that, we have everything here. We have everything more here. But why is it that we want to forsake that in order to go explore what is over there? And so I thought about that, especially with this whole coronavirus lockdown back in March when, when it was, you can't do anything. All your freedoms have been taken away from you. I looked, what are the, what are the steps? I, I literally sat down on my computer and I, and I half seriously, probably about, I don't know, 5% was like, what are the steps to become a UK citizen? Because I was like, what, this is, this sucks here. We're locked down. We can't do anything. I want to get out of here and go do something new. And I looked into it and it, it's almost impossible. You have, you have to have two years, you have to be living there for two years under some work permits before you can apply for, I mean, there's a ton of stuff you have to do, which, which rightfully so, you, you know, that makes total sense. We had probably the same thing here. But then I was like, well, why do I want to leave? This isn't permanent. This isn't going to last forever. But I had that little taste of what you have when everything, all of your rights are taken away from you. And it made me think, well, why did I all of a sudden think maybe if I go here, it'll be better? When I knew in the back of my mind that over there wouldn't have been better. Super interesting stuff. You know, in my brain, I'm thinking back to when we studied abroad and all of the fun stories and all the fun experiences that I had that if I were to live there, those experiences wouldn't be as powerful. That would have been everyday life. And I guess that's our infatuation with travel is that the experiences we get to have is something completely different than what we're used to. And to some people that's scary, to some people they like to, you know, they'd rather sit at home in the sun watching their bushes grow, which I have done for the past three months. It's very fun. I do kind of enjoy it. But part of my brain that wants more, part of my brain that wants to go, to do something, to see something, and I can't. Which made me think about the, the, the better times that we had in the fall, the times that we had traveling around going to the Lake District, climbing up mountains, and all the rain and, and the new life there that constantly grows. It's just so different. Because here in the Midwest, we don't have mountains to go climb. We don't have large lakes and waterfalls and and hiking trails close by that you have to go up north to where there's it's it's more hilly you have to go towards the St. Croix where the glaciers of some thousand years ago carved these massive ravines in that we can now hike down into and it's just a completely different world and i and i sit here and wonder why are we so infatuated with going somewhere else when we have everything right where we're at?
So something very, very interesting, again, I get to sit around and think about now that classes are winding down, that work is not yet started. Um, I'm in this kind of lagging period of my life where instead of thinking about what to do next, I get to think about a world that is disconnected from me and, and, and I cannot access right now. So that brings me to another point where we look at why is it that the experiences that we have had overseas are different than the experiences that we have had here. Where we can travel to a different state with the same people that we traveled to a different country with and the experiences that we have are so completely different. For example, in Ireland on my uh, 21st birthday, we we went to the Jameson factory and we toured the hundreds of years of history how this this distillery that doesn't actually distill the majority of their whiskeys anymore how this distillery has been prevalent through all of the hard times in Ireland from the the Easter uprising to World War One World War two all of this dark history in Europe is also the light history of how ex how the the bad times are also partnered with exciting times how this John Jameson could start this massive distillery and this massive works of making whiskey and turned it into a livelihood for hundreds of people in the city of Dublin and how through the worst of times he still paid them. He was probably making a very good deal of money, so good on him for paying his workers even when he didn't have to. But he did it, and that's what's so powerful about it. And I think that the more that humans can do it, the better off this world will be. We're going to take a short break now, and I'll be back in a minute. And we are back here. Apologize for the... Uh, brief delay I was looking up a certain article this next topic I would like to talk about for the next 10 minutes or so um, this being what took place last night in our American political sphere um, little pretext President Trump last night addressed um, a small cabinet members of media there in which he said that he was uh, preventatively taking hydroxychloroquine which was mixed with the z-pack and zinc um, which in a study from NYU um, Medicine, I guess, I think, I think, I believe that was the journal it was published in, um, found that uh, those who took the hydroxychloroquine with the ZPAC and the zinc combination um, were 40% more likely to not die from coronavirus than those that had taken it. Um, so what is usually cut out when the news stories last night were talking about this was that Trump was take th their story was that Trump was taking it without recommendations of doctor out of his own willy-nilly wanting of to, to use this drug for some reason uh, but what they failed to, to add into the audio was that right when it cuts out he continues to say that his White House doctor um, in conversation with his White House doctor that he said that there would be no harm in taking it and that if you if you wanted to take it as a preventative measure there wasn't large studies that were saying it was a good thing to do 
or that it was something that was helpful. But he said, if you wanted to, there's no risk for you, you know, of dying, which there's been some, some talk about those that have taken hydroxychloroquine, that there was a, a side effect of increased heart, heart attack rates. Um, but those obviously were people that had already had issues or were at risk for heart attack. Um, and as the president of the United States, I'm pretty sure his doctor would not be recommending him something that was going to kill him because president topples over dead on your watch. That's usually not a good thing. Well, this led to outrage and especially with CNN who we love to rip on because communist news network, CNN loves to publish nothing, the truth, uh, did a piece with Nancy Pelosi last night, an interview. And when Nancy Pelosi was asked a question about, um, Trump taking hydroxychloroquine, she added the remarks that, um, as far as the president is concerned, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved by the scientists, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group. Morbidly, morbidly obese, they say. So I think it's not a good idea. End of quote. So here, Nancy Pelosi, Dr. Nancy Pelosi actually, because we forget that she studied at Harvard Medicine for 15 years before becoming the worthless politician she is, that's all, all a lie. She is not a doctor. But according to her, she is a doctor. And because she has 25 years of Botox in her face, she is somehow medically able to talk about this. Anyways, calls Trump morbidly obese. How is that okay? From all of the, the Democrats who talk about no body shaming, the, 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 social, the social norm about not body shaming, about accepting those for who they are, for, she just can say this. And there's little to no backlash, right? Nothing. CNN then pu publishes an, or, um, yeah, CNN publishes an article that says, is Trump really morbidly, morbidly obese? Well, first, the term morbidly obese is not used by the center, the, the CDC, is not used by health experts because it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a scientific term. So, first of all, she uses a term that is derogatory and not even scientific. Secondly, obese is defined as someone who has a body mass index, BMI, over 30. So the last report of Trump's weight and height, his BMI would be 30.2 at 6'3", 243 pounds. So Trump is technically 77 pounds away from a BMI of 35 which is considered obese. So scientifically, he's not even obese. So what is she talking about? Well, nobody really knows what she's talking about, but this just goes to show you the hypocrisy that's so ingrained into, in, in, into her, into what she says, because now, it, so Adele, a while ago, loses all this weight. She's at home, she's got nothing better to do with her time, decides to, hey, maybe, you know, I should lose some weight, whatever, it's her choice, her body, she can do whatever she wants. People go nuts because Adele is losing weight. Why is she losing a weight? You know, why are you doing this? Your, your body shame those who are overweight, whatever. So that doesn't make any sense, but whatever. We're just going to gloss over that. Now Nancy Pelosi comes out and says this about the President of the United States. And there's nothing. There's nothing. You think Trump isn't going to use this? You think he isn't going to use this in his real life? Of course he is. Why would he not? I mean... 
you know, the way he handled this coronavirus thing was fantastic. I don't care what anybody says. If you look up the facts, Nancy Pelosi's in downtown Chinatown telling people January 20, 21st, we should probably, you know, go out and party. There's, it's fine. Everything's fine. Trump closes the borders. They all call him xenophobic. But let's just, you know, everybody glosses over that fact. Nothing ever is going to change. It's the media. Whatever. Nothing you can do about it. No use complaining about it. But let, let, let's just, the hypocrisy is just insane. Ever since, I don't know, um, a month ago when Trump had a falling out with his campaign advisor about his re-election, about how he's slipping in the polls to Joe Biden, Trump has done a fantastic job at, at becoming more politically savvy. And, and ever since then, his polls have been rising, obviously, because he's playing politics. He's finally combating these Democrats who have just had, you know, who have used him as a punching bag. And he's accepted it, taken it, whatever, nothing you can do about it. But now he's starting to fight back. And so when Nancy Pelosi comes out and says this about him, what do you think Trump's going to do? Just sit there and, and not take it? Sit there and take it? He hasn't put anything on his Twitter yet as of 2.45. He hasn't even addressed it yet. But you better believe this is going to come up to bite him, to bite the Democrats in the butt. And so because now we can body shame President Trump for being overweight, what about Stacey Abrams? Ben Shapiro talked about this on his podcast today that if all of a sudden we're now body shaming public officials, what about Stacey Abrams? She's not the you know, picture of health either. Has anybody said anything about her? No, of course not. Because why would you ever do that? But Nancy Pelosi can do whatever she wants because she's a doctor, I guess. So way to go, Nancy Pelosi. Um, one thing I also read today, too, was that Democrats have now... Democrats and Joe Biden focusing on next year's election have now talked about shifting the way they shifting what their platform is on about this great massive change that America needs and his numbers have begun to slide that's why Bernie Sanders is not the you know Democratic nominee is because he campaigned on massive social change in America and the people didn't want it Joe Biden's whole thing was return to normalcy Let's go back to the time of President Obama when unemployment was, whatever, 6%. People were happy. Nothing was going on. America was whatever. We were just paying people. It was quiet. It was fine. That was his campaign, and people were all about it. And now, all of a sudden, President Obama comes on the scene. Ex-President Obama, we should say. Comes on the scene and is like, we should do some, you know, Joe Biden is the picture of change. And now Joe Biden has assumed this role of, Let's change America. We need to change our health care. We need to do the X, Y, and Z. And, it, and, and he's starting to lose people because people don't want to see America change that way. People want to see America change the other way. We want to go back to a time where the government didn't have control over us. The government couldn't tell us, you have to stay at home. And all you small business owners, you have to shut down. And we're okay with an unemployment rate at 10%, but we're just going to keep giving you money. Nobody's okay with that. I don't. I mean, if you're if you're okay with that, I would seriously question what you're thinking about, because that's not sustainable. In in a lot, the logical American knows it's not sustainable. And so, when Joe Biden campaigning on return to normalcy, for all of us that were Republicans, Trump supporters, we're like, oh, you know what? At least Bernie Sanders isn't going to get elected if we lose. That was kind of the glimmer of hope. Was you know, it's going to be bad if Trump doesn't get elected, but whatever. At least it's not communist Bernie Sanders. Well, now Joe Biden has become communist Bernie Sanders. And, and, pe and the people are, are showing it. 
the polls are showing it. Joe Biden's beginning in all of the battleground states in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, the three blue wall the Democrats were claiming, claiming in 2016 that Trump flipped. He's, he's beating Joe Biden in all those states by, you know, single digits. I think Wisconsin's in the double digits now because people don't want to see the radical change of policy. And Joe Biden is running on that radical change of policy, and I think he's going to end up paying for it. So anyways, this has been your 25 minutes of me talking, having a good time sitting here drinking my, my coffee, staring at the trees, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Hopefully by uh, Thursday or Friday this week, we'll have the, the boys back in the studio, and we can get back to having just a good old time chatting with you. This has been I Have Spoken. Thank you.